0: equipment, technology, education. The Northeast's premier outdoor farm event is almost here. Since 1985, producers have been discovering the latest in farm equipment at the New York Farm Show every February at the New York State Fairgrounds in Syracuse, New York. The New York Farm Show hosts more than 400 exhibitors with the latest technologies in tractors, planters, sprayers, and many other precision ag tools. Join us, February 23rd to the 25th. Learn more at newyorkfarmshow.com. Indoors and outstanding, the New York Farm Show. Hi and welcome to the North American Egg Spotlight. I'm Chrissy Wozniak. My guest today is a third generation farmer from Southeast Saskatchewan, Canada. He's also been sharing his farm story to bridge the communication gap between farmers and consumers through public speaking and his blog called A Year in the Life of a Farmer from Lagu Farm. I'd like to welcome Jake Lagu. Welcome and thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thanks, Chrissy. Really looking forward to the conversation.
0: Yeah, so I saw your keynote at the Unconventional Ag Conference in Minneapolis in November And I was really impressed at your common sense advice to the industry, which was don't tell farmers how to farm, ask them instead. And I knew right there, I needed to have you as a guest here on Ag Spotlight. And uh, uh, that's exactly what I want to talk about today, how to not tell farmers how to farm. Uh, But first of all, can you tell me about your background and uh, and about your farming?
1: Sure. So I've been involved with the farm. I mean, ever since I was young right i mean that's typically the way it is when you grow up on a farm you're you're out there all the time but uh, i guess in more of a you know a a uh, full capacity i've been involved with the farm since 2010 which is when i graduated from university and uh we farm as you mentioned in southeast saskatchewan canada Uh, we're a family operation there's uh several family members involved um along with my wife and three little boys and uh yeah, we grow a variety of crops out here, and and try to do a good job of managing things for. Uh, well, I mean, really, our vision here is to create the opportunity for the fourth generation. So, everything we do is is built around that vision.
0: Yeah, there's there's no greater vision, I think. And in in my opinion, farms have so much pressure today. I think more than they've ever had in history. You know, you have the the weather inputs. Pests, disease, all of those regular farming roller coaster items, uh, but now you also have to deal with sometimes incomprehensible ag policy uh, extremists and the media often demonizing you for how and what you farm. So how do you deal with all of that?
1: Well, it's it's interesting, you know, thinking back to the way things were. Um, I remember growing up, you know, in the '90s and early 2000s um there wasn't much talk about agriculture nobody really was that interested in it um it didn't seem like a particularly you know profitable business because it wasn't at the time um it was tough times there was lots of production and uh prices were pretty low so you know for a long time i wish that there was more interest in agriculture i wish people would be more interested in where their food comes from and how the whole thing works I guess you could say I got what I wished for because there is a lot of interest now. And I mean, on the one in one sense, that is very positive. it's It's great that people are interested to find out where their food comes from and how it's produced and and how we manage our businesses and our time. On the other hand, it does create a lot of challenges because you know we're two percent or less than the Canadian population. Um, as farmers, a lot of other countries are actually worse. Um, in terms of that percentage. So it's very difficult for the limited numbers of us food producers to bridge that communication gap, to explain why it is that we do what we do. So, you know, I guess I thought that maybe a way it could contribute to that is uh, at least by sharing some of the things we do, some of the things I'm thinking about, some of the challenges that we have. So it does take some time, but I think it's very important to do so. I mean, we've always, as farmers, we've always struggled with weather and markets and and all those sorts of things. Those challenges aren't new and they aren't going away. We've learned how to manage those things as best we can. Obviously, there's things out of our control. You get in a multi-year drought or something like that. And the weather is the most important factor in your farm when that happens. But, uh, you know, as much as we can, I, I think it's important to focus on issues outside of that as well, to make sure that you know, egg policy, as you mentioned, gets made in a way that's useful for us and, and good for the environment as well. Because I think, honestly, what's good for us is usually good for the environment. So.
0: Yeah, those are great points. And more and more, we hear claims that farming is destroying the earth. You've shown data that says otherwise. So what evidence is there that we are producing more food with with vastly fewer resources?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, my farm is located in Western Canada, so I can speak more to that, obviously, than any other area. But uh, in Western Canada, we're, a, we're dry, short growing season. We get, you know, 12, 14 inches of annual precipitation a year. That includes snow. So in-season rainfall is more like 9 to 10 inches. Um, you know, that's not a lot, right? right? Obviously, there's some variability around that, but we have to carefully manage that water. So one of the big things that really improved that was the switch to no-till back in the late 80s, early 90s, um, when dad was, you know, in the midst of his career. The 80s were dry, you know, high interest rates. Everything was going wrong for agriculture in the 80s, it seemed like. And there was a drive to do something better. So some farmers tried not tilling their land. They tried these new seeding tools that they could seed directly into last year's stubble. And it worked pretty well. I mean, there was a lot of challenges to overcome to make all that happen. Obviously, with any change, there's always resistance to it as well. But by and large, the process gained momentum. And by the mid-90s, it was very popular. And, and today, it dominates Western Canadian agriculture. There's a few areas that don't that don't do no-till, but they usually have reasons for not doing it, whether it's too wet or too cold or some combination. But I, I look at that as a great example of The government didn't create a bunch of incentives for us to go no-till the government didn't say you know oh you got to do it this way or that way there were no food companies saying that you know you guys need to do this or we're not going to buy your stuff it was done because it was in the best interest of farmers to do so it it highlights the incentives that we have to manage things as best as we can which usually goes hand in hand with protecting the environment and no-till has been fantastic i mean we we don't see soil move anymore with the wind or the water. Um, you know, we've we've improved soil fertility. We've trapped tremendous amounts of carbon in our soils as a result of of not opening them up. Um, we've, you know, like I said, eliminated almost soil erosion risk in Western Canada. So, you know, it it's a, it's been a very positive thing. And in going with that, we were able to introduce new crops into our rotation, pulse crops like lentils and peas which they don't need nitrogen fertilizer. So that's a great thing. Um, It also just breaks up the cycles for weeds and diseases and everything else, having a lot of different crop options. So seeding a crop every year and having lots of different crops that we can grow has been tremendously positive. And and a lot of that came from switching to no-till and continuous cropping. So, you know, those things have all generated, you know, quantifiable, documentable benefits to our soils that uh you know are are largely positive so
0: yeah those are those are such great points and you know your point about the government not directing this is such a great point because number one in my opinion farmers are the best caretakers of the land they can see and it's also a business so it has to be profitable and it has to take care of the land so uh what you guys have done to really be on the forefront of regenerative egg without being told to is really fascinating. And it's, it's such a good testament to, to how we should be dealing with farmers, right?
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's a great example too, of something that works in one place doesn't work everywhere, right? No-till works very well in Western Canada, but there are areas where it just doesn't work that well. And we need to be careful about being too prescriptive to everybody's saying you know oh you got to do it this way this way is great for us so it must be good for you you know i hear that on cover crops a lot they have a great fit in a lot of areas and they've been tremendously positive i from what i understand in areas of the midwest and ontario but out here they don't work nearly as well we're we're too dry we're too short of a growing season we've experimented with them here on our farm and we just haven't had great success with them um September isn't a time of the year that it typically rains a whole lot and the growing season can end really quickly so we really have to manage all that so you know when it comes to the regenerative agriculture thing it's it's really about understanding that farmers have to be free to use the tools that are out there but shouldn't be you know necessarily too highly encouraged to do one thing over another by government policy or by other mandates or anything like that because each of us knows our soils pretty well and you know as I mentioned we are incentivized to look after land and make it better for the next generation because that's what most of us want out of our businesses is the next generation to have the opportunity to farm here as well.
0: Yeah, that's great. And and I know at COP15, which was just in Montreal, it was reported that 35% of the current Canadian diet includes some form of, of animal protein. Um, but the suggested goal uh, would be a diet that is dedicated only 10% of a diet to animal protein. What do you think of this statement?
1: Yeah, you know we uh, we don't have cattle on our farm now, but I grew up with them. We had them um, up until about 20 years ago, and then we started to phase out of them. And I have tremendous respect for animal agriculture producers. I have some really great friends that are ranchers and mixed farm operations. And I think we've learned from watching how the interaction works between crops and livestock, and also looking at the tremendous area of Saskatchewan that should be a natural grassland i mean there's some areas that just cannot support annual crop production we need animal agriculture it's better it's good for our soils it's good for you know different parts of the economy and i mean it's it's good for us too i mean it's it's healthy protein it isn't filled with a bunch of things and and it's it's pretty simple stuff right so i i just you know it, it comes back to you know governments and other organizations being awfully prescriptive in what they think we should be doing with our own lives. And and I think just like farmers need to be free to use the tools that they have available to them in the best way that they see fit, um, each one of us should be free to make our own choices about our own diets and where we get our protein from. I think that uh, each one of us is is probably a lot better positioned to answer that question, especially when it seems like the science on on animal agriculture isn't maybe being considered as much as it should be we seem to be caught in this thing where we we're worried about their impact on the climate but we're forgetting all the good that they do right so yeah I, yeah it's it's something that uh, I feel pretty strongly about
0: right and in your keynote you talked a lot about how you feel about the word transformation can you explain that
1: yeah well I mean transformation is a it seems to be a word that gets thrown around a lot these days because everything needs to be improved and transformed. But there's a big difference in my mind between improvement and transformation. Improvement tends to be incremental. And really, that's what agriculture has always done. We make incremental improvements year over year. We look at the results of last year and we think, "Hmm, I wonder how we could you know, do things a little bit differently next year or improve this or that here or there that just didn't work as well as it wanted it to. Things work really well for us when we when we focus on doing things that way. If I just went into 2023 and said I'm going to completely revolutionize how I farm, I would probably have a lot of troubles. Uh it's pretty difficult to just try a whole new production practice or change the way you farm in a single season. Yeah. And transformation to me is is something like that. I mean, you're talking about complete overhauling of what you have. And you know when I hear that about our food systems, I think what exactly do we need to transform here? There are things that could be improved. Obviously, there always is. But the need to transform, I'm just not seeing it. So it's a its a word that I, I think that we need to be a lot more intentional about how we use.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And you have a blog called A Year in the Life of a Farmer. So why did you start it? Who is it for? And what is it all about?
1: Well, you know, I started writing back in uh, 2013. Um, the thing about writing that I've noticed, at least for me, is that it does two things. One of them is it helps you distill your thoughts around an issue into a workable theory or or solution or something like that, right? You can you can take a, a whole bunch of, of questions and thoughts, and when you write them all out, it, your brain really seems to work on developing an answer for them. So I find that process to be really useful for me, and I use it outside of my blog. I'm writing things all the time, um, so that was one reason why I did it. Um, another reason why I did it was because I was getting very frustrated with the way that agriculture is being portrayed in the in the media, what people thought about it. Um, I I wish that you know more farmers were sharing their story, and then I'm sitting there thinking, well, if if I'm wishing for other people to do it, why can't I do it? So, yeah. So I thought, let's, let's give this a try. And if, uh, if five people read it, well, that's five people that, that know something a little bit more about agriculture than they knew before. So what have I really got to lose aside from some time? And like I said, the the writing process itself is, I find very useful anyway. So to me, it was, uh, it was an easy thing to to try doing. So, so I started writing and, uh, and then I started sharing what I was, what I was doing and, and it's it's been a it's been a fabulous, uh very interesting process over the past, you know, near decade now that I've been writing. The people that I've met, the conversations that I've had, the questions that I've had is has all been very interesting, whether they've been, you know, people attacking me for, for saying something that they don't agree with or or just honest questions about, you know, what should I be worried about, the amount of chemicals that go on fields and that sort of thing. And and I can share a real world opinion about well I'm doing it every day, so you know i I can talk about it in a very real sense so it it's been a it's been a very enjoyable uh thing to be involved in
0: yeah yeah definitely and uh and you're on many different boards as well uh you have your blog and you farm uh, a very large farm so how do you find the time to be involved in so many things outside of the farm
1: well i'm I'm Extraordinarily lucky because on our farm we have, like I mentioned, a variety of family members involved. My dad is still fully engaged in the day-to-day operations of the farm, and uh, you know I've got a couple of siblings, you know, involved as well. So we're able to, uh, you know, pick the things that we uh, that we're good at, the things that we're interested in doing, and that's allowed me to step out of a lot of the day-to-day operations during the winter, especially. I mean, during the growing season it's tough to find time to do anything other than farm. But, but uh, I do, we do consider it a strategic priority for our business to, you know, try and share what we're doing, because government policy affects us all, right? So, Mm -hmm. so we've just made it a priority. And I've made it a priority in my life. And I guess it means I don't get to watch maybe quite as much Netflix or, or anything like that. But, but uh, I'd say the trade off is, is well worth it. And, and the amount of learning that I get out of it, you know, when it comes to boards and everything like that, professional development, the skills that I brought home to the farm as a result are tremendously valuable.
0: Absolutely. So now, switching gears a little bit, what's happening in Canadian ag? Can you give me a rundown of how ag policy is affecting farming in Canada right now?
1: Yeah, well, there's there's been a lot of policy um, issues that have come up over the past few years. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. 10, 15, 20 years ago, government policy was really just around insurance um, and uh, disaster assistance. Now, government policy is is becoming quite quite a bit more all-encompassing, I guess, of agriculture than it ever used to be. So, you know, one example where the uh, emissions reduction platform from fertilizers that the uh, government posted here a little while ago, um, you know, they want to cut, Mostly nitrogen fertilizer emissions by thirty percent by twenty thirty, and you know initially there was a there was a lot of pushback on this because we weren't clear on what exactly they meant by reducing emissions. Was that going to be a hard nitrogen fertilizer reduction? Was it just emissions? How are we going to get there? Was it voluntary? They clarified a few things. I think partially because of the pushback. Um, I think to be honest, they were a little bit surprised at how hard farmers and the industry push back on the idea of potentially limiting nitrogen fertilizer so the policy right now it's it's fairly germane i mean it's basically a voluntary 30 percent reduction by 2030. now my questions on it of course are still if we don't achieve it then what does voluntary become mandatory um also how in the world are we actually going to measure this we don't know we very we know very little about how many what our actual emissions are today on our lands in Western Canada. We have some areas that have some research done, but honestly, we need a lot more granular data than that. We probably need it on a zone level, multiple years, in a lot of fields in Western Canada. We'll be lucky to figure out where we are by twenty thirty, let alone actually cut things by then. So, you know, that's I think it's just a, it's a good example of, of something that sounds good on paper. Like, yeah, we'll reduce emissions and that'll be good for farmers because then they'll save some fertilizer costs. But when you actually start going into the details of it, it gets very complicated very quickly. And the, uh, you know, the solution that they're proposing isn't going to be all that easy to achieve. So that's one of the things that they've, they've done. A lot of their policies have really come in around climate change you know we have a carbon tax here which we don't get charged on the fuel that we use in the farm but uh when you start thinking about where a carbon tax finds its way in across the value chain after the grain leaves our farm how we get our fertilizers and crop input you know products to our farm all those companies are paying carbon tax on transportation costs um freight production all of that stuff. So we're paying it, we're just not really seeing it. And I would also say that it doesn't really incentivize us to change anything because we don't have a lot of other options out there today to change things to reduce carbon emissions. And on the one hand, we're being taxed and told to reduce and all this sort of stuff, but we aren't being rewarded for the things that we're already doing to trap carbon in our soils. You know, on balance, we might be a net zero. We might even be a net positive, but yet we're paying a tax and we're being asked to reduce and those sorts of things. So that's where uh, that's where a lot of us have become quite quite frustrated by it.
0: Yeah, and 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 it's a, a great point about you know when when the government is you know putting in these these new policies that don't quite make sense. A lot of it is about lobbyists and votes and right. And and it's really good for people like you to stand up and talk about it because the farm farmers need a voice. You can't just sit here and just go, okay, well, here's a new rule. What are we gonna do? You feed the world, right? And you have to keep feeding the world. So, so it's very good and and it's impressive to see a lot of brave people come up, you know, like the you know, the Dutch farmers. I think, I think everybody kind of rallied around the strength and and saw what they were doing as well. So I think that helped people get a bit of a voice to. Do you agree with
1: that? Absolutely. I mean, what's going on in the Netherlands is is a lot more extreme than anything that's being proposed here. And it's quite terrifying to see it, yeah. um, what, uh, what they're being asked to do and, and in a lot of cases forced to do. Um, it doesn't strike me as uh, something that you would see in a democratic country. So it's very concerning to see that. Um, I, I couldn't imagine the government stepping in on our farm here tomorrow and saying, yeah, you're going to be bought out whether you like it or not, here's the price, take it or leave it. That would be an incredibly difficult uh, position to be put in. So so I think, you know, for that reason alone, it's it's so important for us to be engaged on these issues um, and, and sharing our story and, and doing all this stuff because uh, things can go off the rails really quickly, as we saw in that country here just recently and currently.
0: Yeah, definitely. And is there anything that you recommend – we do across North America, uh, just to be more aware, to use our voices more. What, what kind of steps do you think we should all be taking?
1: Well, it's a it's a good question because, you know, unfortunately, there is an argument that what we've done so far hasn't been highly effective. I mean, have we really moved the needle on public awareness of agriculture and and what their perception of it is? Um, and maybe there maybe that's a good question, but. Then I I go on social media and all the different platforms and I see so many farms on, on those platforms sharing their stories and some of them have millions of followers and tens of millions of views in their videos. And I think, you know, maybe it's not showing up in the data yet, but we're accomplishing something here. People are seeing it. People are interested in what goes on on Canadian farms. I mean, you know, maybe I'm biased here, but I think farms are pretty fascinating. I mean, the, the the land, the machinery, the animals, the family legacy that goes into all of it. Yeah. I think if more people were exposed to it and could see it the way that I think you and I see it, I think that they would be fascinated by it and, and wouldn't be able to get enough of it. So I think it's it's great that farmers are sharing all this stuff. And I think that absolutely needs to continue. I would also say that, you know, the organizations, the commissions, the associations that are working with the government to try and get these policies into something that's useful for us rather than detrimental to us. You know, I'm involved with a couple of them myself and, you know, farmers need to be as engaged as possible with those. Know what they're up to. If you're not happy with how they're being run, put your name forward and, and run for one yourself. Um, mm-hmm. You know, give the people who are involved with it a call and find out what they're up to go to the annual general meetings, vote in the director elections for these commissions. Um, You know, we still don't see a lot of engagement from average farmers on, on a lot of this stuff. And I, and I think um, more engagement brings more ideas. The more of us that are, that are out here working on these issues, the more likely it is that somebody has an idea that really works um, to make things better. So, so just, being involved and sharing your story. I think those are two things that most farmers can do that won't really, you know, take that much time. Um, Even if all you do is retweet something you saw that you liked, it's uh every little bit helps. So those are, those are some simple things you can do. As far as bigger things, it, it becomes really challenging because we're 2% of the population or less, right? So how do we get our message out there to the, to the people who live in those downtown cores. It unfortunately might take some money spent to uh to talk to those people because they're the they're the ones who uh were the farthest away from.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And what it what advice do you have for producers heading into the 2023 growing season across both on both sides of the border?
1: Yeah, well I mean the 2023 growing season will be a lot like, like this past one in terms of costs. I mean, everything is expensive. Now interest rates are kind of joined that chorus here. So with high fertilizer, chemical interest costs, machinery costs, everything seems to be climbing on us really rapidly. It's worth stepping back for a minute and just looking at, you know, yeah, those costs are up. Commodity prices are up as well. They're still strong. They have been now for quite a while. Don't be complacent about one or the other on this. Things can change incredibly rapidly. We still have great opportunity to lock in a potential profit for 2023. And, uh, you know, I just think that uh, there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic about the year and the years ahead of us. So um, let's not get too down in the dumps about the cost of everything going up just yet. I think, you know, I wish it wasn't that way, but. But we can't control that either. So we got to focus on the things we can control, like running a good business and and trying to be involved and sharing our story.
0: Yeah, that's it. And that leads right into my next question. Overall, you have a lot of optimism about the future of ag, about the planet, about the environment. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: You know, I think one of the great tragedies of the era that we're in is that we're living in a time that's never been better for human beings and you know in a lot of cases things are getting better for the planet on on a daily basis i mean people who are wealthier look after their local environment people who are poor can't afford to they you know if you've got an acre of land and you have a choice between an elephant that's coming at it to stomp it under because that does still happen and feeding your family what would you do we often we often forget that these choices are made on an individual level, and until we can lift people out of poverty, we're never really going to solve these problems. And right now, we're putting an awful lot of policies in place that that don't allow for people to be lifted out of poverty. Um, people need cheap, abundant energy and cheap, abundant food. Once you have both of those things, it's a lot easier to make that climb. And you know, we've taken extreme poverty from 85 90 percent of the human population just 200 years ago down to under 10 percent today while adding several billion people to the world's population it's a it's a it's a miracle of a story yeah and we don't yeah. talk about it um we focus on the problems and you know I, I think that we could do a lot better job as a society on on looking for the positives and focusing less on on the negatives. And and I think if we did a little bit more of that, we might think a little bit more optimistically about the future. And if we did, I think we would put policies in place that would encourage growth because growth equals opportunity and opportunity equals wealth. And there's no reason why anybody else in the world shouldn't have the same opportunities for that that our ancestors did when they came to our countries here or even that we have today.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And and I remember you shared a chart about that uh at Unconventional Egg and it was just to see that chart. Maybe uh if you can send it to me, I'll add it to the show notes. It uh it really showed the graph of of how poverty has gone down while the population has has risen so much and that really blew my mind. It's it is such a good point. And if we work smarter, more opportunity, well it's it's maslow right if we can get people fed and housed then they can do great things
1: yeah and you know what's what's really interesting a lot of people don't know is these charts are available you you know you can go online to humanprogress.org or our world and data and you can find charts on anything and whether it's infant mortality whether it's um you know extreme poverty whether it's calories per person all of that data is telling us the same thing we have made tremendous progress and it can continue what's unfortunate you know lately is because of the pandemic and because of the war and, and a lot of other you know i would say add government policy to the list because of inflation and everything else we're seeing those poverty rates really slow down their decrease and maybe even turning around on us and we should be quite alarmed by that um that hasn't that hasn't happened In a very long time and you know i i know that it is a priority for the united nations but uh we often kind of forget that that poverty is is probably one of the most if not the most important thing in our in our society or at least it should be you know so when i see all of this going on and i and i think about the possibilities that we have for a future it's hard not to be optimistic about the future of agriculture you know someday our human population will stop growing and will probably start declining. There is data to show that. But we're farming in a part of the world where we have great soil. We have great regulations for the most part. A lot could be improved, but generally the framework is solid. We have access to all kinds of crop protection products. We have access to labor. We have access to machinery. We are in a place in the world, whether it's Canada or the US, or a lot of other places where we have the opportunity to feed the world and fuel the world and provide all sorts of other materials to them at less and less impact to the environment. And uh, I just, I just can't think that that isn't a positive thing um, regardless of of where the world goes, we're, we're in the right industry. And I, and I think it will be the right industry to be in for a very long time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. And so I have one last question for you uh, as we close up why do you serve the ag industry? What's your greatest passion in it? You could just farm, right? And keep your head down and farm. But wh- why do you serve the way you do?
1: Yeah, well, sometimes it's hard to uh, nail down exactly what what drives um, a lot of us to involve ourselves in the ag industry and try to make things better. But, but ultimately, when I think about what our goal for the farm is, about creating an opportunity for the fourth generation, a, Whether that's one kid or or six between me and my siblings or eight, who knows? Um, I want to create that opportunity because as farmers, we stand on the shoulders of our grandparents to create a future for our children. That is our job. So if we're going to do that, we have to think bigger than just our local environment. We have to think bigger than the soils that we farm and the farms that we operate. We have to think about what's the world going to look like for them as well you know, my my own personal, you know, sort of mission is to leave things better than I found them. And that goes for farming, but that also goes for the greater policy environment. And, you know, the, the world at large, I, I want a great world for my kids to live in. And so that's that's what drives it. Um, I I feel like there's things that I can do to make things better. And if there is, I should do them.
0: Yeah, that's that's yeah. awesome. And and I I totally love that. Uh, so if people want to learn more, if they want to follow you, where can they find you?
1: Yeah, so you can find me on social media, I'm on Twitter, um, Instagram and Facebook and all that with just my name. <laughs> if you search Jake Legui, you'll you'll find all that. I or you can go to my blog website at thelifeofafarmer.com. dot com. And uh, we have a farm website as well at leguifarms.com. So You can find me in all those places and uh, hope that you, uh, you, if you want to engage and chat, and I'm always happy to talk to anybody about farming.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Great conversation.
1: Thanks so much. I really enjoyed it.
0: And thanks to all who are watching or listening. If you want to learn more, all the links are provided in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe to North American Egg Spotlight on YouTube, Rumble, Telegram, or EggFuse channels. And the podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Amazon, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And have a great day. Thanks so much for listening to today's Egg Spotlight episode, where we put the spotlight on people and companies doing great things for the agricultural industry. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or on your favorite podcasting platform and give us a five-star review. You can also follow us on YouTube and Rumble to see the video version of Ag Spotlight. Also, head on over to NorthAmericanAg.com to subscribe to our Industry Connect update newsletter. If you're interested in advertising opportunities, email us at connect at NorthAmericanAg.com. Thanks for listening. Our newest podcast by North American Ag is called What Color is Your Tractor? The stories behind the egg brands you love and the egg brands you love to hate, hosted by me, Chrissy Wozniak. We take a deep dive into the companies that have built modern agriculture. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Go to whatcolorisyourtractor.com, available on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Fastline Auctions, the ultimate destination for online farm equipment auctions. for hassle-free cost-effective farm equipment auctions visit fastline.com for more information you can join us for a tour of the fastline auctions platform july 13th at 6 30 p.m to register for this webinar go to northamericanag.com fastline webinar that's northamericanag.com fastline webinar to register now